If you've been in America for more than five years, if you have children who are American citizens or legal residents, if you register, pass a criminal background check, and you're willing to pay your fair share of taxes, you'll be able to apply to stay in this country temporarily without fear of deportation. You can come out of the shadows and get right with the law. That's what this deal is. Hello and welcome to this edition of Cato Connects. My name is Caleb Brown. I'm the director of multimedia here at the Cato Institute. Uh, Today we're following up on the president's announcement that he will delay the deportations of potentially millions of undocumented immigrants as long as they fall within certain categories. Among those, uh, they have to have young children who are U.S. citizens and they cannot have arrived in the U.S. in the last five years. And, of course, they cannot be criminals. So to talk about the policy consequences of uh, this action, I'm joined by Alex Narasta, an immigration policy analyst here at the Cato Institute. Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me. So uh, before we get into the policy discussion, so much of the uh, issues surrounding the president's announcement have been about the legal and constitutional authority that the president claims to have in this area. Legal scholars, of course, are now uh, parsing the president's policy, his announcement, and his speech. Uh, Here are a few thoughts from just the Washington Post's uh, Volokh conspiracy blog. Ilya Soman, a law professor at George Mason University and a Cato adjunct scholar, says, To the extent that the rule of law is in jeopardy here, it is because the scope of federal law has grown so vast that no administration can target more than a small percentage of violations, thereby unavoidably giving the president broad discretion. Moreover, at least under the original meaning of the Constitution, the legality of the immigration laws that Obama has chosen not to enforce in some cases is itself suspect. Uh, This is from David Bernstein, Soman's colleague at GMU and a Cato Institute adjunct scholar as well. From what I can tell, it's probably not illegal or unconstitutional for President Obama to defer action on millions of immigrants and then grant the adults work permits. Nevertheless, he should not do it. No president has ever used his immigration discretion simply to evade congressional opposition of his policies, nor to extend de facto legal status to so many people. Uh, and this from Jonathan Adler, a pro- law professor at Case Western Reserve University. You would know him better as uh, one of the drivers of the uh, Obamacare case, King v. Burwell. He writes, Immigration law is an area in which, for good or ill, Congress has given the executive wide latitude. Under some other laws, including the PPACA, or otherwise known as Obamacare, Congress was not so generous. In evaluating claims of executive overreach, it is important to consider the relevant statutes as whether the president is exceeding his bounds largely depends on the nature and scope of the power Congress delegated in the first place. Uh, And just a note here, uh, right before we uh, went live here, Cato's Ilya Shapiro is working on a blog post uh, that should be up on our blog soon, and you can check that for uh, his view as well. But speaking of delegation, and uh, this is a chunk of the relevant chunk of the statute uh, in question here, Uh, The attorney general may accept as provided uh, some provisions here in his discretion parole into the United States temporarily under such conditions as he may prescribe only on a case by case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. So that is some of the legal argument that is currently surrounding this. There is a lot of debate about this. Uh, Many of the president's defenders and detractors uh, have very strong opinions about it, but that's not what we're talking about here. We'll be talking more about the policy consequences, the policy questions of what this action actually means for Americans, for the economy, and for immigrant families uh, who are being given something of a a temporary reprieve 
by this president. So if you'd like to join in the conversation, please join us. You can add uh, a hashtag to a Twitter question. The hashtag is Cato Connect, and we'll try to get to as many of those questions as we can over the course of the next half hour. So, Alex, I'll use my privilege here. To the people that uh, the president is essentially giving this reprieve, uh, those people are now able to apply for permanent resident status. Is that right? So it will begin on January 1st of this year, as far as I understand. And a lot of these folks will be able to apply for a temporary uh, status here in the United States. Uh, Most of them will apply for that status. Um, It'll be a temporary renewable work visa permit. Uh, they will have their deportations deferred as a result. Others, though, however, because of the parole features in this, will be able to get a uh, legal permanent residency, also known as a green card, uh, through uh, reforming various portions of this program. So to give you one example, uh, there is a waiver for certain people. For instance, if you are married to an American citizen and you are an illegal immigrant, you are normally entitled to a green card, but if you're here illegally, you can't leave the United States to get that, otherwise you trigger a bar on reentry. What this does is it makes it possible for you to leave and to get that green card that you're otherwise entitled to and to be able to reenter the United States permanently. Uh, permanently. That will affect about a million people according to uh, some studies that have been done. Okay, so in, in, this is sort of a catch-22 when it yeah. comes to uh, legal status because you're entitled to get a green card, but if you're here illegally, you have to leave the country to go get it, and then you're prohibited from entering for so many years. Yeah, uh, for three to ten years, depending on how long you've been here unlawfully. And that provision was put into the uh, a law that was passed in 1996 by Congress, the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. And it is one of the main reasons why we have such a large immigrant, illegal immigrant population is that a lot of these folks can't leave and get their legal status and come back, which is something that previous groups of illegal immigrants did in large numbers. All right, we have a few questions uh, from Twitter here. Jenny Lee asks... How will the executive action on immigration benefit foreign students of STEM? So uh, what this, not very much. Uh, There are some provisions in the president's order that will affect, say, H-1B visas, which are high-skilled specialty visas that a lot of STEM workers are able to get in the United States. Uh, It will allow them a little bit more flexibility, although the details aren't clear yet in the memo exactly how it will do that. Uh, It will allow them to change jobs a little bit easier and allow them to be hired a little bit easier. Um, However, the interesting thing is some of these rules proposed yesterday by the president will actually repeal some of the earlier regulations that his administration put in place that made it more difficult to hire H-1Bs. So I would suspect that the program will look more like how it was run in 2008 um, than anything else. Now, didn't Congress just last year or even this year offer H-1B visa reform that the president said that he would veto if it were not included in a much larger uh, immigration reform? Yeah. So there are numerous versions of this bill uh, introduced over the last several years. There is the uh, Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act by uh, Representative Chaffetz. There was a Skills Act. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz proposed an amendment that would uh, increase the number of highly skilled visas by fivefold. Um, on his own. So, uh, but all of these bills, like every other sort of individual piece of immigration reform, uh, the president has threatened uh, to veto if it comes to him because he wants it all together in a big package. All right. General Delivery at Twitter asks, can we please now, can we now please secure the borders? 
Uh, that is a nice thought. Uh, however, nothing in the, these executive orders uh, will address that problem. The main impediment to the United States um, having operational control of the southwest border is the fact that we have no way for most legal, uh, I'm sorry, for most low-skilled workers to enter the country lawfully in the first place. The best way that the government can get control of the southwest border, operational control, is by legalizing the flow of workers across it and by channeling those would-be illegal immigrants into the legal market. Now, I hate to say it as a libertarian, but the government can only regulate a legal market. So if we want to get a hold of the southwest border in t uh, as much as possible, then we need to legalize those flows across the border by creating a low-skill guest worker visa program. And uh, nothing the president does here addresses that issue. All right. Tim Gruders asks, does this not increase costs for social benefit programs such as Medicaid and welfare? Aren't illegal households a net deficit? That is a great question. That's something we've paid a lot of attention to here at uh, Cato. What's interesting is if you're here on a work permit of any kind, you do not have recourse to means-tested welfare benefits. If you're here on a green card for the first five years, you don't have recourse to means-tested welfare benefits. Uh, some states have exceptions to that, but they're very small exceptions. Um, in terms of taking a look at households that are headed by an illegal immigrant, there is welfare use in those households, but most of them are, almost all of them is used by the American citizen children or American citizen spouses of these immigrants. If you take a look at the individual illegal immigrant, they consume very little, almost no welfare benefits in the United States uh, because they're just not eligible for them. Uh, that was put in place in 1996 and has held up to today. Now, I'm still concerned about welfare. I think we all should be concerned about welfare, not just for immigrants, but for everybody. But we can build higher protections and higher walls around the welfare state to deny more uh, to deny them the broader class of people. It's legal. It's popular. Uh, we could do it today. The president can't do it on his own. Uh, that would require a bill from Congress, but it's very easy to do. What does uh, labor force participation look like for immigrants versus native-born Americans? Great question. Um, for immigrants in general, it's higher, uh, several percentage points higher across the board. But when you drill down into that figure even more deeply, it's far higher for men, uh, for immigrant men, than it is for native-born American men. And it's even higher still for illegal immigrant men than it is for uh, American um, you know, U.S.-born men. So to give you an example, the last time the study was done, the labor force participation rate for illegal immigrant men in the United States was 94%, compared to about 65%, um, or the, the high 60s for um, U.S.-born men. All right. Um, let's see here. Victor Nava asks, uh, will the backlash from Obama's action make it more difficult to achieve an expanded and simplified system of immigration? That's Purely political question, but very legitimate. A lot of people have argued that the president in doing this has essentially poisoned the well for future reform. And that's entirely possible. And that's one of the more negative potential consequences of the president's action. So if reform was not going to happen this year, if there was no water in the well to poison, then this is a, as a policy improvement, as a policy action, is a pure improvement across the board. It lessens the humanitarian damage done by our immigration laws. However, if this action did poison the well, and if it does delay permanent immigration reform, 
you know, a legalization of the unlawful immigrants, a reform and an increase in legal immigration, if it did delay that, then I think the long-term cost of this reform of the president's actions will be greater than the benefits. Um, but we unfortunately don't have a crystal ball of what would have happened had he not done this. Um, we just have sort of the, the words of some people involved. So it could turn out in the long run to be negative for that reason, but we just simply don't have that counterfactual. All right. Uh, Rohiram Ronan asks, how will the administration know how long people have been in the United States? One of the uh, factors here is that you cannot have arrived in the previous uh, five years. So one of the ways that they've done this in the past is to take a look at um, uh, things like uh, utility bills, take a look at pay stubs, because most of these folks do get pay stubs. 75% do file tax returns um, in the United States right now or have pay withheld uh, from their paychecks. So you can uh, do it that way. You can do it through testimonials of employers or other Americans. Um, but of course, uh, and one interesting case for DACA from 2012, the Deferred Action Program for Childhood Arrivals, which was the previous one, is they took a look at um, the logins on uh, playing online games and tracked the ISP addresses to where they were to confirm that people were in the United States at the appropriate time. So there are more ways to check this than ever before. However, I suspect, like every big program like this, there will be a decent amount of fraud. We cannot expect perfect enforcement. Uh, there will be people who have been here for less than five years who will be able to game the, gain the system and uh, get in as a result of that. But most of them will be able to prove through various different legal mechanisms that they've been here for more than five years. All right. J.C. Derrick asks, the White House says the action will boost economic output by 0.4 to 0.9 percent over 10 years and increase GDP $90 billion to $210 billion by 2024. Is that true? So um, there are two, th there's one reason why I suspect that those numbers are, are, are close to accurate. One is after the 1986 Reagan amnesty, we saw the wages for the newly legalized workers increase by between about 5 and 15% purely because of the legalization. Now, there are two reasons for that. One is they could make investments in learning English or other U.S.-specific skills without fear of deportation and therefore losing that investment. That makes them more productive. And the second reason is that American firms can then hire them uh, legally and without fear of the government fining them. Uh, which allows their wages to increase because the lower wages were a compensation for risk. So because of that, we should see an increase in output. We did, uh, Cato published a paper in 2012 by Professor Raul Hinojosa Ojeda of UCLA, and he estimated that over a 10-year period, if all the illegal immigrants were legalized, we'd see GDP increase by about $700 billion over 10 years. But since this legalization does not nearly go that far, and most of it is temporary, it'll probably be a small fraction of that. So that makes me suspect that those numbers uh, quoted are in the realm of possibility. Okay. Uh, Joseph Montano asks, uh, now that ESCOM will be replaced by the Priority Enforcement Program, what does this mean for ICE detainees? And unpack what that means a little bit. So Secure Communities was a program begun in March 2008 by the Bush administration. It was piloted in 14 jurisdictions around the United States in March of that year. What it was was every time you were arrested, anybody was arrested in the United States, 
um, your fingerprints, which were already taken and shared with the FBI, would then be shared with the Department of Homeland Security to see if they suspected you to have committed an immigration offense or to have entered unlawfully or to have overstayed uh, your legal visa. If they suspected that, they would send a detainer order or, or hold to the local police department so that when they released you, they would release you into ICE custody. And then ICE would then process you uh, for deportation if it turns out that you actually were in the country unlawfully. What the PEP program would do is replace that system with one, as far as we can tell so far based on the memos, one where you were only removed if you are actually convicted of the crime as opposed to just being swept up by the police. And the reason why that's important is a lot of people are arrested by the police in, say, uh, domestic abuses, uh, abuse uh, cases. Both the victim and the accused perpetrator are arrested at the same time in a lot of jurisdictions. And if the victim is a, an unlawful immigrant, then they could get deported because they report a crime, uh, report their abuser to the police. So this sort of simplifies that program, hopefully improves it. I could go on a little bit more about that. Uh, what we've seen across the country is when local police departments do not enforce federal immigration laws, we typically see more cooperation with uh, illegal of illegal immigrants with the local police and reporting crimes and being witnesses. We see it in Los Angeles after the 1978 Special Order 40. And William Bratton, who was the police chief of L.A., uh, New York during Giuliani's administration, and I believe Boston as well, has praised these programs of not uh, having police be local immigration enforcement officers because it increases the cooperation. So I think that this is one of the biggest uh, substantive steps in terms of immigration enforcement inside the U.S. that the president took. Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, local law enforcement is under no obligation to uh, do anything with respect to federal law. Uh, yes, and I'll, you see a lot of local um, police departments drop out of the Secure Communities Program after the Obama administration forced every single jurisdiction in the United States by the year, uh, by January of 2013 into the program. You've seen jurisdictions across the country drop out of it um, because they signed up thinking that it was voluntary and they could leave at any time. A lot of problems, a lot of costs borne by them of holding these suspected illegal immigrants for a longer period of time. They decided to drop out. The Obama administration fought them on that, but eventually these jurisdictions won and were able to leave the program. Uh, just for uh, the elucidation of myself and our audience, what has been President Obama's record with respect to immigration and deportation up until this year? So um, between 2009 and 2013, which is where all the data that we have is available, uh, the president deported 847,000 people from the interior of the United States. These were people who were not apprehended on the border. They were apprehended in American cities or in the countryside working. Uh, internal, those are real deport, what we think of as a real deportation. Uh, to compare that, in the last five years of the Bush administration, uh, he only deported 475,000 people from the interior of the United States. So almost double. Almost double. And your chances, as an, if you were an illegal immigrant, your chances of being deported from the interior of the United States by President Obama's administration was more than double what it was under the Bush administration. Uh, Jossie Sapunar, I apologize, uh, asked this question. If an undocumented person hasn't paid taxes, can they apply? And what about someone who has criminal charges? So um, if you haven't paid taxes in the past, this was a big issue that was brought up in the 2013 
uh, immigration reform bill. It's very difficult to track back taxes from previous years if you didn't file. So basically what this means is that you would have to pay all outstanding tax bills that exist right now and pay your taxes going forward and able to register for it. Um, showing your W-9s or other forms will certainly help prove that process. If you have criminal charges, it depends on the severity of the charges. Uh, most likely though, if they are uh, felony or serious number of misdemeanors, uh, you will not be able to adjust your status. There are a lot of comparisons that have been made uh, in recent weeks between the 86 amnesty uh, overseen by President Reagan and a, a different one that comes, I think, a little closer to what uh, the president's doing now, George H.W. Bush. So uh, most appropriately, I think that compare the George H.W. Bush uh, delay of deportations with the one that is occurring now. So uh, George H.W. Bush uh, deferred the deportation about 1.5 million uh, folks who were the family members of people unlawfully, uh, they were unlawfully in the United States and they were family members of people in the United States. So they could plausibly have adjusted their status in the near future due to the 1986 Act. So what George H.W. Bush did was he deferred their deportations to be in line with that 1986 Act and knowing that Congress was writing another immigration reform bill in 1990. Basically sort of a fairness measure. Uh, I think that is a little bit different than what we've seen right now with President Obama because there really isn't a law passed in the last couple of years that uh, would be an amnesty or legalization. So that is the big difference, I think, between these two. But in terms of deferring deportation, just on that level, they're similar. Okay. But in terms of the legal justifications, they're different. Okay. Emma Perry asks, how will President Obama's executive action on immigration impact entitlement programs for the next generation? So that's you know, a, a huge question. Uh, what's important to keep in mind, and I recommend reading the work of my colleague, uh, Michael Tanner, on this issue. He's done some great work on entitlement programs, and it's been a real inspiration to all of us. Um, what we know for sure is that because immigrants are younger than the average American, and they're more likely to work in the United States than other Americans, they have a positive cash flow to the Medicare system, for instance, of about $14 billion a year. That is, they pay $14 billion a year more than what they take out. Meanwhile, U.S. citizens take out about $31 billion a year more than what they pay in. Now, what's interesting is unlawful immigrants, because we have so much border enforcement, which means that if they leave, they can't come back in ever in the future to work. They've interrupted that. Uh, if they're able to become legal, that means that they're more likely to leave in the future to retire in their home countries and not get Medicare benefits. Because what we've seen in previous decades is that about 30% of immigrants who came to the United States to work retired in their home countries and that didn't get these benefits. So what this will likely do is if they're legal workers, uh, make it less likely they'll get those benefits in the future. However, if they all become citizens and become legal and decide to stay here, then it will improve the short-term finances and cash flow, but in the long term, will add more people to the benefit rolls. But I think the uh, the, the most important aspect, and and uh, we have to factor in the fact that their children will be here now and will be American citizens who will then have children in the future who will also be taxpayers in this system, but also beneficiaries in the in the far future. Um, so the, the 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 outcome is complex. Um, I don't think that immigration can save our entitlement system. It's already uh, running big deficits and uh, is on the path to bankruptcy. 
Um, but it's not clear that immigration will make that uh, or these kinds of reforms will make it worse. All right. Uh, Brooke Kramberg asks, could the new DAPA expansion uh, apply to sons and daughters of any age? Um, so Explain uh, what that is. Yeah. So this is um, part of uh, the sort of uh, temporary program of uh, the, the, the legalization program. I believe uh, what she's talking about is the... Um, I believe that program, they, so for the DACA expansion, if she means the DACA expansion, then it applies to people who are of any age right now, um, but they have to have entered prior to 2010. Before it was prior to 2007, but now, uh, so this captures about 290,000 more people who are eligible for that program. All right. Uh, Cameron Keyes asks if undocumented residents expect future shifts to a more pro-deportation strategy, will they then be deterred in the short run uh, applying for visas? Great question. That is, uh, that is a very good question. What we saw with the president's 2012 um, temporary legalization, it was estimated to impact about 1.5 to 1.9 million people. But only about 675,000 ended up signing up for it. And the main reason, I think, is because it was a temporary program and these folks uh, didn't want to give their identity information to the federal government to let them know where they work, where they live, what their names are, and that they're here unlawfully. So they have a deep distrust of the federal government, I think deservedly so, and they didn't want to let them know about that. So if it looks about 40% or so of those who are eligible for DACA applied, uh, we can... You know, if we apply those numbers out to this new legalization, we can expect about 40% of them to apply, so somewhere around 1.5 to 2 million. All right. If you have a question for Alex Narasta, our immigration policy analyst here at the Cato Institute, you can use the hashtag CatoConnects on Twitter, and we'll try to get to a few more questions with the time that we have remaining. Uh, David Lowenthal asks, how much of a chance is there of getting immigration reform without E-Verify? That is a question that I've been wrestling with a lot. A lot of people, uh, let me explain E-Verify first. E-Verify is an electronic um, employment eligibility verification system, meaning that every time a worker is hired, they must give their identity information to the employer who then checks it against a government database online. States like Arizona made it mandatory for all hires in the state. And the goal of the program is to exclude, turn off the wage magnet, essentially, make it uh, impossible for an illegal immigrant to get a job and uh, thereby make it less likely that they'll come in the first place as a deterrence program. It hasn't worked that way, uh, but it's basically assumed to be a fait accompli. Like, it's going to happen no matter what. Like, the, 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 the mood in Washington that it's going to happen no matter what is part of any immigration reform. I'm more optimistic than that. I think that most people don't know the problems with this program. They don't know about the costs it imposes on American workers, consumers, and businesses. And they don't know how ineffective it is. To give you an example for Arizona, um, the, your typical Mexican worker can expect a 253% wage increase by moving from Mexico to, the, to Arizona. Uh, what E-Verify did was it decreased that wage increase from 253% to 240% while imposing enormous costs, especially in the agricultural and construction sector, 
but we saw that it did decrease the employment in these sectors of unlawful immigrants, but we didn't see any native-born workers move into these sectors as a result. It basically destroyed these jobs. A lot of these immigrants left the state, and they took the jobs with them. I think if more people, especially on Capitol Hill, knew about these negative economic effects, we would see much less enthusiasm for E-Verify. But it sounds, you know, it sounds like a system, a magic government wand, making it impossible for them to get a job, and boom, it won't work. What we know, though, is that for the last uh, 50 years, immigrants have been working here unlawfully. There's a pretty well-developed black market in identity papers. Uh, this sort of government magic solution will not work. In the future, there will be workarounds. Uh, so unfortunately, if it becomes law, we'll be stuck with a big government program that is totally ineffective, uh, which is pretty much par for the course. And if you love how the IRS <laughs> and NSA handle your data, you'll love E-Verify. Absolutely. So uh, Ross Kaminsky asks, do you believe Obama's aggressive actions will turn public perception and opinion against reform and immigrants? That's very likely. Uh, that's likely, and that's something that I'm very worried about. Um, it seems by, by bringing in, for instance, this, con this uh, constitutional debate over the constitutionality and legality of the president's actions, it ups this debate to a whole new level of seriousness and uh, that could uh, inflame a whole new group of people um, against the president's actions and immigration in general because of that. And that's something that I worry about deeply. Um, and that is could be one of the potential major downsides of the president's actions. All right. Eli Hage or Hagee asks, if after three years immigration reform does not take place, what happens to those who receive this temporary reprieve? So uh, this temporary work permit that the president uh, mentioned, it's actually authorized by the Code of Federal Regulations, a 1987 provision in there that says those people whose actions are deferred are eligible for this temporary work permit. Um, this permit can be renewed uh, at the discretion of the next president in three years. So uh, conceivably, it could continue indefinitely. Um, or it could be stopped in three years, or it could be stopped tomorrow. So that's one of the major costs of dealing uh, with this type of program. So uh, bottom line here, what do you expect to be the, the economic <laughs> impact of a wholesale legalization of four to five million people who've been here illegally for five or more years, who presumably are not earning wages that they, uh, their labor would uh, justify. I think we'll see an increase in these people's wages and their productivity and their likelihood of uh, entering the uh, workforce in the first place, of paying taxes, of being able to uh, spend more money here as a result. And we'll also uh, start to see more of a circular flow of people going back to their home countries and coming back and forth on these legal visas. So we'll see uh, a little bit more economic, economic activity because of this. It'll be uh, positive going forward for GDP growth, for these people's wages, for the employers that hire them, and for the consumers that buy their products. Um, it's not going to be huge. I mean, this is not going to usher in a huge spate of enormous economic growth, but it's certainly not going to cost us anything, and it will add a lot more to the economy than it takes away. Now, our uh, former colleague, Dan Griswold, who did a lot of work on immigration here at Cato, was fairly critical of the 86 immigration reform because it legalized a bunch of people who were here and did nothing effectively to reform the system for future flows. 
that sounds pretty much exactly what's happening here with this executive action. Yes, it does. And that's why this is not a long-term solution. And this does nothing to address the fundamental flaws of our immigration system, which is that it's virtually impossible for a low-skilled worker to come here legally unless they're closely related to an American citizen. I mean, there is no green card available for low-skilled workers to come here. The guest worker visa programs don't work. Uh, the H-2A visa for agricultural workers has four different federal agencies regulating it. Uh, farmers who employ them have to basically let federal agents under their property at any time without a warrant. Um, it's expensive to operate. Um, the H-2B visa for seasonal workers is, uh, faces a low cap of about 66,000 people a year. These programs don't work. Um, they haven't worked in a long time. And uh, Dan Grizzle was absolutely right. The major problem with the 1986 law was not a lack of enforcement. Um, there was a lot of enforcement in that bill. It wasn't the legalization. The legalization worked and did what it was supposed to do. It was the fact that they did not create a guest worker visa program to channel would-be future unlawful immigrants into the legal system and to legalize them and to take that pressure off the border. All right. That's going to be uh, it for uh, this edition of Cato Connects. I want to thank you for joining us and for your questions. Uh, if you have any comments about this program, uh, suggestions for future improvements, you can uh, contact me directly via Twitter or email here at the Cato Institute. I want to thank Alex for taking the time to sit with us on a fairly uh, busy week for you uh, this week. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time.